keep this in your pocket so I can get a recording of it. That's all right. Okay. Sure. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you that you allowed me to come back again. I think this will be the fourth time I've been here, as I recall. Um, I know one time I taught specifically about the Holy Spirit, and, and one time specifically about biblical economics and finances, and, and one time about prayer. Uh, today I'm going to deal with spiritual um, warfare. Before I do, let's, let's have just a little season of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the wonderful name of Jesus, who is indeed the Christ, and the only Christ, and your only begotten Son, and we pray and we gather in his name, knowing that as we are faithful and obedient to lift up our Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you for being here. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, uh, in just a little bit, we'll hear from the president of Acts Ministry, Leanne Kennedy, who came with us today. But before uh, she comes to uh, make a presentation concerning Israel, I do want to add to what uh, Dennis has said about Acts Fest. Acts Fest is our annual convention. We started a good many years ago with these meetings by having a musical variety show in Branson, or in Springfield, uh, mostly Branson singers. It was at the old Gateway Theater, which was there by the uh, Howard Johnson's. Now they use it for something else. But on a Saturday afternoon, we, we had a full house. Saturday night, it was standing room only. And then we uh, uh, got together for a meal the next day. Uh, no, we didn't. That was, some, that was later on, toward Christmas. Things run together after you do them enough. <laughs> but um, uh, then later, uh, we had another one, and that was at Central High School Auditorium, another musical variety show. And, uh, and then we started uh, with AxFest as we know it now by having some uh, little seminar groups and our uh, annual banquet. <coughs> so uh, it has evolved now to the point where some of us will gather on Wednesday night, the 10th, actually, because some come from out of town a little early, and we'll, uh, we'll have food and fellowship with them. And then on Thursday, we've expanded it one day longer this year, so that on Thursday, we have workshops for about four hours that are all about computers and the Internet and websites. And uh, nowadays, uh, the world operates by computer. And even though you, you, whether you have one in your home or not, your home is being ordered in many ways by computers. Um, you go to the grocery store, when you check out, computers are involved. Computers are involved in the weather report that you receive. Computers are involved in uh, how they uh, maintain the highways. Computers are involved in uh, uh, reporting what satellites see, we could, uh, we could see this church from a satellite out in space, live coverage of it. So computers are everywhere. Rather than computers being the enemy, Acts Ministry has taken the stance that we should uh, be as high-tech as the world so that we can make use of the technology and understand it and uh, put it to use in God's kingdom. 
One of the things that we are able to do is send a prayer request by computer, by an email, to our international prayer pastor in Matador, Texas. And he can type that into his uh, computer, push a button, sends that prayer request all over the world. Over a hundred prayer circles with uh, a few thousand members. They actually cover the globe like this with prayer requests in a matter of minutes. Now that's remarkable. That's how we uh, see computers being used in the kingdom and other ways too. This morning I watched a church service from our uh, affiliate in Lee Summit, Missouri. And uh, uh, it was on my computer screen by a program called Ustream. And it's a small church, about the size of this one. And I was able to sit at my desk and watch their service and listen in. Uh, so enough about that. That's what will be on Thursday. On Friday, we'll have uh, um, a man who's a Nazarene pastor in Springfield who will make a presentation on leadership. We will have uh, reports from the prayer circles. We'll have uh, uh, information on our Acts Ministry University, which now has been recognized by the state of Missouri uh, as a Bible college. But we will also be adding liberal arts and seminary and postgraduate. And much of that's done by Internet. Uh, there are a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, Saturday, uh, the ladies have a, a beautiful uh, day uh, thing during the day. And, um, and then Saturday evening is our awards banquet. Sunday morning, we'll have a service in the hotel. Sunday afternoon, very special time, 2 o'clock, we will be uh, ordaining some ministers and we'll be serving Holy Communion. So that's access. But our vision of unity in Christ through the Holy Spirit goes far beyond Pentecostals and Baptists getting along with each other. Goes far beyond Methodist and Christian churches being involved with uh, Baptists and Pentecostals. It goes uh, even to the extent of our kinship with the state of Israel, with the Jewish people. After all, we are Judeo-Christian. Jesus was a Jew. The Apostle Paul was a Jew. All of the early apostles were Jews, with the exception, perhaps, of Luke, who was a Greek. Um, the church was given birth by the Jewish nation and the Jewish faith. And so we have that kinship. Unity in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And our unity means that we bless Israel and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Just recently, Leanne and her mother, uh, who is our secretary treasurer, uh, they went to Washington, D.C. and attended a great convention, Christians United for Israel. Leanne, would you come and give us a report on that? honored to be able to come back and report to you guys um, what I learned there. Um, some of you may know Pastor uh, uh, John Haiti from San Antonio, Texas. He established a grassroots organization called Christians United for Israel. Have any of you happened to have been to come and talk to before? If you get a chance to do that, I would highly recommend you doing so. It was one of the most transforming experiences of bringing my faith together with my um, my love for the United States. Um, 
I learned so much about our country, about the way our government works, as well as um, learning a lot about Israel and the turmoil and why it's taking place. You hear a lot of things on the news and you just kind of have to piece things together, at least that's how it was for me. But by going to that conference, I was able to get a broader um, view of the whole scenario. One of the things that I brought back that I would like to share with you for just a moment or two, there was um, a lady that gave a teaching on how to pray for the state of Israel, because we know that we're commanded to do that when we read our, our Bible. But um, we also know that there will not be complete peace until Jesus returns. So how do you pay, pray for that peace of Jerusalem when we know that until the Lord comes back, there's going to be fighting going on no matter what the governments do in the meantime. So what I'd like to share with you is, number one, you can pray that there will be peace in their hearts, even though there may not be peace around them physically. Secondly, you can pray for wisdom and guidance um, for the leaders of the nations, which we all know that we're to do that anyway, so that we can live in peace and safety according to Scripture. And number three, for wisdom and guidance for uh, the generals and those that are um, leading the troops on the ground. But what really struck me more than anything was praying for that peace that would be in their hearts, mm -hmm. that they could stand without knowing our Messiah, but that God would graciously give them that peace in their hearts mm -hmm. while they wait mm -hmm. for, for Jesus. So, anyway, uh, I would encourage you to continue to pray for Jerusalem and the Jewish people. And if you don't mind, let's have a prayer for them yes. specifically yes. right now. And then we'll let Dr. Paul get on the Dear God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Jewish people, we come to you because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has made the way for us to enter into your presence. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that allows us to know how to pray when we do not know how to pray, especially for your people that are returning to their homeland that you promised Abraham. Lord God, we ask that you would grant us the grace to pray according to your will, for these people. Father, we ask that you would um, give them the peace in their hearts to know that your promises are true. Lord, keep us faithful to pray for them when we are sitting in a country where even as we see things not going as we would like for them to go now, Lord, uh, we are in better situations than most people on the planet. So as we are here, we ask that you not let us be complacent, but that your Holy Spirit will continue to draw us to prayer for the Jewish people. Father, I thank you that you entrusted those people with the very word of God that you have protected and brought to us over these many years that we love and we, we read and we, we take in as, as our food and our nourishment. Lord, we also thank you that Jesus came through the Jewish people. And we thank you for your wisdom that you are bringing two together. And Lord, we 
submitted to you. None of us totally comprehends your plan. Otherwise, we would be right there with you. But we know that we only see in part, and each of us, even in this room, only sees a part. And so that's why we need each other. And we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you through our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Leanne. Um, <clears throat> what I want to do uh, during this first uh, segment, and then, of course, we'll have a break, as we, as we always do when I'm here, and then, then I'll have a second segment. I will preface uh, uh, some of this with the statement that after the second session is, is all done, I'll be ready to pray for people. But in the meantime, you should be thinking about being healed. Get your mind on it. Get your mind fixed on it. Now that's healing whether it's in your body or whether it's uh, something going on in your head, whether it's some turmoil in your heart, in the chest area where you just you feel oppressed or whatever's going on. Um, if it's uh, healing in your financial situation or in your concern and worry about finances these days, or if it's in something having to do with a relationship with another person and you know in your heart of hearts that the scripture is right, that if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive others and you find it hard to do. So uh, whatever the prayer need is, be thinking about it. This is serious business. Uh, we, uh, uh, we could get out and drive uh, uh, through the countryside any place we're privileged to be able to drive through the countryside and come here and enjoy your fellowship. But mindful of the fact that this isn't just another trip, another get-together. This is serious business because you're God's people if you are believers, if you're born again, and uh, God wants you healed. Oral Roberts used to say that. God wants you well. I believe that. I don't believe that has changed at all. And so we think about those things for what will happen by the time this afternoon session is over. But for this first session, what I want to do is lay a lot of groundwork for uh, five references that I will have in the Gospel of Mark. Because in, within the first nine chapters of Mark, there are five instances where he's dealing specifically with spiritual warfare. And uh, we'll come to an understanding of what that's all about as the afternoon progresses. Um, this would be a good time for me to uh, go all the way back to the beginning of the Word of God in the book of Genesis. About chapter 1, verse 1. We'll work our way forward. This is all part of the background. In the beginning, that's how it begins. We all know the story so well, how God spoke things into existence. And I told uh, our Acts Ministry gathering last Sunday afternoon that um, there's a lot of power in a thought. Because God thought of it before he spoke it. Now I think about that. Haven't you heard it said, now, young man, young woman, you need to learn how to think before you speak. Haven't you heard that? You still say that sometimes? 
we need to remind each other of it sometimes because remember the power of life and death is in the tongue and there's a little old paperback book that Nancy and I read a number of years ago and you may have read it it's called Hung by the Tongue and you can really get hung by the tongue but God never does and never has and never will he thought perfect and beautiful thoughts before he spoke therefore what he created by speaking it was determined predetermined that it would be beautiful and positive and wonderful because you see the earth was without form and void dark when the spirit of God moved God spoke because God thought beauty and perfection and wonders all of those things that now we wait to see when we get to heaven something happened after his crowning creation of man and woman something happened and it took place in a very beautiful environment called the Garden of Eden now I recognized in the book of Genesis there's two stories about creation but uh, that's not unusual in the Bible you'll find one that confirms another and one that substantiates the other and so forth the Bible never contradicts itself the Bible interprets itself so in the Garden of Eden there's Adam and Eve they should have been having the time of their life I mean what else could you want they had everything now they didn't have telephones they had no need of them they didn't have automobiles they had no need of them they didn't have air conditioning because they had no need of it they didn't have furnaces because they had no need of them in other words telephones just became a necessity because of failure automobiles became a necessity because of sin all of these things they didn't have to have windows they didn't even have to have a house think about that living in a world so perfect that you didn't have to lock a door because you didn't have a door I remember many years ago before I moved to Springfield there was a pastor friend of mine there and, and uh, they never locked their door in the Methodist Parsonage parked their car out in the driveway or on the street left keys in it and then they were going off to Canada for a month's vacation and I was going to come and babysit the Methodist Parsonage and their dog and over the phone he said by the way uh, don't leave your keys in your car in fact lock it up put it in the driveway and lock it up and don't leave the house unlocked he told me where the key was hidden he said things have changed in Springfield he said, in fact, if you leave the car out on the street, you might get up in the morning and find out that all the tires and wheels are gone. They might even take the motor out of it overnight. <laughs> Times have changed. But what a world Adam and Eve lived in. None of that existed. None of it. And then Eve went off by herself for a little bit. After all, it was safe in the garden, wasn't it? or was it because someone else who had had access to the, the beauty of God 
who had uh, had the ability to look over God's shoulder and read God's plans and had the ability to stand out among all the other angels because he had this magnificent singing voice. He had this uh, something that other angels didn't have, a kind of charisma. And he had a certain amount of power. After all, he was the hovering cherub, the one who could stand and look over God's shoulder. He found his way into the garden, into perfection. I think it's quite interesting that he showed up with the appearance as of a serpent, a snake. I don't know if we have any snake lovers in the audience today. There's something wrong with this man. Bad something. Bad wrong with him. Big time bad with something wrong. I, I One of these days I'm going to bring a message or write a story or, or an article or something about uh, rattlesnakes, flies, and mosquitoes. And I think we can get along without any of them. I, I don't think we need them. But... Um, he shows up as this creature that many people, sane people, have grown to loathe, <laughs> the snake. <laughs> and um, he, he begins to talk to Eve. And she, uh, he gets her attention because the fruit on the tree was beautiful. And uh, his voice must have been very beguiling. So what she could see and what she could hear became very important to her. That's when she became aware of maybe uh, she, hadn't, uh, uh, she hadn't gone home to go berry gathering and nut gathering and so forth with, with Adam. And, and uh, she was a little hungry too. So the flesh was crying out. But that wasn't enough to get her to pick that fruit and taste it. Um, the enemy had to give a fine room in her head. And he did that by asking a question that planted doubt. Now the Bible makes it very clear in the book of James that, that um, a double-minded man is uncertain in all of his ways. And from the same root word of double comes the word doubt. Um, a doubter uh, in the Bible is not an admired person. Think about doubting Thomas. He originally was known as Thomas Didymus, Thomas the twin, until he doubted the resurrection of our Lord. And then from then on, he's been famous in history as doubting Thomas. And if you find someone now that uh, doesn't believe this or that, you may say, well, you're just no doubting Thomas. 2,000 years later, we're still demeaning doubt. The enemy knew what he was doing. He said, has God not said? I think in the old King James it reads something like, Hath God not said, if thou eatest of the fruit thereof, thou shalt surely die. Thou shalt not die. See how soothing his voice could become? And so she took him at his word rather than sticking with the word of God. God had said, don't eat that. Don't eat it. 
So she switched teams because he got in her head. There's where it started. That's why you have to have an automobile, an automobile insurance, and that's why you're suddenly happy if gasoline happened to get down to $3.40 a gallon. That's why you're, uh, you need air conditioning. That's why you need windows and doors. And that's why you need a police force. And that's why you need all those things. Hath God not said? Created doubt. Right up here. The, the mind is the battleground. The soul of a person is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So the mind is the ability to think and have uh, stuff that registers. And remember, uh, God had perfect and beautiful thoughts. And that's what we're supposed to have. But obviously we don't. Um, the will, that part of the brain that, that makes a decision and sticks with it. That's why Paul in Romans 12, 2 said, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in the Greek, he's talking about this front part of the brain, not here to here, where decisions are made. And he had to say, if you really want to be transformed, know how to make a decision and have the guts to stick with it. That's what he's saying. Don't decide one thing today and another thing tomorrow. Make a decision and stick with it. I submit to you a decision that isn't worth keeping is a decision not worth making. That's true. That's very true. And I've known uh, over the years, and I, Billy Graham's a great man, and, uh, and, and the, the world loves him, and rightly so. But he made it famous with his Hour of Decision radio broadcast and his TV programs and his great rallies. Uh, make a decision for Christ. But I wonder how many have walked that aisle, that trail, and claimed a decision that really wasn't a decision. There's a reason why in uh, uh, the old days in small churches like yours, They'd have an old church bench up here, and they'd call it the mourner's bench. Because people came and cried over their sin. And they talked about praying through. They knew that up there somewhere, there were legions of demonic forces to block prayer. And people wondered, why don't my prayers reach into God's ears? Listen, there are spiritual forces up there with baseball bats, and you send them up, they're, they're good. They're hitting them, rocking them right back. They're like people up there with tennis rackets, and as prayers go up, pow, they're just slapping them back down. And I, we need to get a visual of this. It all started because he got in Eve's head. And consequently, you need doors that lock. And consequently, people think they make a decision, and they haven't really made a decision. There's a lot of people who so-called made a decision who are walking around as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. Have you ever seen a goose walking in a hailstorm? <laughs> They're very lost. And the thing about watching a goose walk is that a goose would be right here, 
And if you turn around, and they move very slowly, but if you turn around and look at something else for a couple of minutes, that goose is way over there, just steadily plodding along, and very lost if there's a hailstorm. That's the way some people are. They've never really experienced a life-changing impact of a living Christ because they've done away with the mourner's bench. Now, we, we like to pick on some of the people that have a, what we call a little higher church because they have a communion rail. We shouldn't pick on them because those communion rails used to be mourner's benches and sometimes they still are. I was in a Methodist church in my hometown back uh, eight years ago now, I guess, in the spring. And uh, when I gave the invitation, those people didn't know any better. They came down and knelt at the communion rail. That's what they thought they were supposed to do. Now, I, I'll tell you, it's hard to get a Pentecostal to their knees. Last Sunday, Bob got to his knees, and, and Larry Evans got to his knees, and they were the only ones out of our whole group, and I had said they need to come down and get on their knees. And it just went right over their heads, because they're not used to kneeling. Now, they're used to catching people if they fall under the power of God, but they're not used to kneeling. Those Methodists, they didn't know anything about being slain in the Spirit. They didn't have any catchers, but everybody came up and knelt at the communion rail. And I, in order to anoint them and pray for them, I had to get down on my hands and knees, crawl along, anoint them with oil, and pray for them. And guess what? Some of them rolled off backwards, slain in the spirit. So you don't have to be standing up to fall down. You can be down and fall down. And it's especially handy if you don't have catchers. Because you see, it was not a trained Pentecostal church. It was an untrained Methodist church. The communion rail, mourner's bench, crying over sin. And one of the reasons that's not happening anymore, folks, is because back in the Garden of Eden, he got in her head. That's where it all started. Pardon me for sounding secular for a moment, but I'm going to quote something that the world stole from the church. So I'm going to throw it back to you that it really should be church language. There are people going to hell in a handbasket. That should be a part of our daily jargon. We need to recognize that every day, every day, every day, every moment, since I've been standing in front of you, people have died and gone to hell. Folks, this is serious. The game time is over. And speaking of that, when God calls the final out, there's no overtime. Amen. When the game is over, the game is over. Somebody doesn't say, well, give us an extra quarter to play. No. Or give us another hole of golf to play to decide it. No. Give us another quarter to play basketball. No. Uh-uh. When it's over, it's over. I heard John Hagee say something this morning that I wholeheartedly concur. Someone came to him and said, uh, Brother Hagee, I uh, would like you to pray for so-and-so because uh, 
they died. He said, no. It's too late. It's too late. Why does it get too late? Because he got in her head. Because he got in her head, multiple millions of souls are in hell right now. And we really don't know what hell is like. We've heard some testimonies. We read about it a little bit in Scripture. But we, we, we don't have any more idea what hell is like than we do what heaven is like. Even though there's been people in heaven and written about it. We still don't know. Now, I want to find out the truth about heaven, but I never want to know the truth about hell. So this is very serious stuff. It's a spiritual thing. Because he got in her head. Well, things got worse and worse and worse on the earth. Murder happened because Cain killed Abel. Um, then we had some stuff that's difficult to explain, all kinds of theories about how man multiplied on the earth. But it got really bad. And then came Noah. Out of all the people on the earth, there was one who had favor. His name was Noah. I still don't understand why God didn't just go ahead and wipe everybody out and start with a clean slate and a new Garden of Eden. Uh, I don't know why he didn't. Because he could have. Except, you see, he started with a very beautiful thought. Perfect thought before he ever spoke. And God never changes. Even his thoughts don't change. You realize that? He is God and he changeth not. So even his thoughts don't change. God still had a beautiful picture of what man was supposed to be. That picture was so complete that finally, 2,000 years ago, God came himself as his only begotten son. Jesus of Nazareth. And then God from his heavenly throne could look at this only begotten son and say, now that is how I intended man to be. Right there. And those who were discerning following Jesus to a Galilean hillside by the thousands or those who heard his voice by the Sea of Galilee when he said, come and follow me. Or those who heard him when he spoke into that tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. They looked at Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Galilean, and they said, hmm, he is what God must be like. This was God's beautiful picture. That's why there was an ark. Because God doesn't give up easily. After that, they replenished the earth. And it was going to hell in a handbasket again. And there was a man named Abram. He was an Assyrian, which means he's from the part of the world that today is Syria. An enemy of Israel, by the way. And... Uh, he heard God speak where? In his head. Where Eve 
allowed Satan to speak. You get this? God's reclaiming some territory, isn't he? He doesn't show up in a burning bush yet. Instead, just a voice in this man's head. Leave your home. Start out. I'll show you. You'll know it when you get there. His name was Abram. Later on, he became Abraham. His wife, Sarai, became Sarah. By the way, did you know that Sarah is a good Hebrew word that means princess? Lots of little girls have been named Sarah, and their parents didn't even know why they named her Sarah. They don't even know it's a Hebrew name. I'm sure my, my folks named me after the doctor who delivered me. Uh, they didn't know that Paul is Greek for Saul and that it means small. <laughs> but Abram becomes Abraham and uh, he starts a wonderful thing. He starts tithing. 1640 or 50 years before Christ. 400 years at least before the escape from Egypt. He starts this beautiful thing called tithing. Tithe means one-tenth. It doesn't mean an eighth or a seventh or a sixth or a fifth. It doesn't mean a tooth or a one. It means a tenth. One penny out of every dime, one dime out of every dollar, one dollar out of every ten, ten dollars out of every hundred, hundred dollars out of every thousand, thousand dollars out of every ten thousand, etc. And it greatly pleased God. God still thinking, still has beautiful thoughts, perfect thoughts. And Abram becomes Abraham, father of nations, and uh, late in life, fathers a child by his wife, who's 10 years younger, but still very late in life. And uh, but he had become over-anxious beforehand, and uh, because, remember, Lucifer had spoken into Eve's head, and as a result, there was one born before Isaac called Ishmael. His descendants are still roaming around over in the Middle East. And it's the reason why over 5,000 Christians gathered in Washington, D.C. to support Israel. Because the followers of Ishmael, they hate Israel. And they always have. They've always been determined to wipe them out. And then the chosen one of Abraham's sons, uh, Isaac, he, uh, he fell in love genuinely. He, the guy had to be head over heel, double deep dish dandy in love. Because he agreed to work seven years for one woman. That was back in the days when a man could work six months for half a dozen. 
<laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> and have cattle to go along with them, you know. Have cows for them to milk. Chickens for them to raise. All that. <laughs> this guy wasn't much of a businessman, but he was double for you for seven years. All I want is that woman. You can keep the cattle, the chickens, the hogs. You can keep everything. Just let me have that woman. So he worked seven years. After the wedding night, he wakes up and he's got the wrong woman. Got his sister. You know that story so well. Anyway, why did a father-in-law do that? Because Lucifer got in Eve's head. That's why. But you see, God can make all things work together for good, can't he? Amen. So, when God puts a man in love, man's in love, and he says, okay, one more time, I'll work another seven years, but this time I want her. And that works out. And he becomes a great animal husband for his money. He's the first one that knows anything about that. And, and he's... He, uh, he gets it in his head that he'll take all the imperfect animals. So he bred them so that they had spots and stripes and imperfections one day or another. And when it came time to separate, he told his father-in-law, you can have all the perfect ones, I'll take all the imperfect ones. And here's a kind of a prologue to how wise God is also. Because... It may very well be that Lucifer thinks he's getting some that they all think they're perfect and they don't need Jesus. But all the imperfect ones, they're looking for Jesus. I think you got it. Anyway, he becomes quite wealthy and he fathers 12 strapping boys and one girl. And you know how they ended up in Egypt. Uh, you know how God raised up another kind of personality. Moses, a lawgiver, to get him out. Had to have a little help having his brother be his mouthpiece because Moses wasn't good at talking. Got him out. Made a little mistake. They had to walk around 40 years in the desert. All the rebellious ones died off and, and a new generation was ready to enter the promised land after they sent some spies in there. And uh, now Moses, he was, a, he was a good enough man that he fulfilled his years, 120, walked to his own funeral. The Bible says he had the gait of a young man, his eyes had not grown dim. 120, that's a good many years. But you know that one of those spies, because of his obedience and because he was upbeat, because he had a positive attitude, because the devil hadn't gotten in his head, and he said, I'm 80 years old, but we can go ahead and take that land. We don't care about the giants. We'll take them. He lived to be 130. Does the way you think make a difference? Of course it does. Of course it does. The way you live make a difference? Of course it does. Does your obedience make a difference? Of course it does. Does your persistence make a difference? Of course it does. But the reason it has to do that is because way back there, Lucifer got in Eve's head. And the war was off. Now, they go in and they have their, uh, uh, their Joshua and then eventually their judges and then their 
they have their their prophet Samuel, and then they have their kings. And and uh, in a moment, we're going to take a break. But I have to tell you to get us up to that point that uh, you must read the book of Haggai. Now, it's not a long book, but it's as they would say in the Ozarks, it's a good one. It's a good one. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi are three prophets in a row who are what we call post-exile prophets. Um, and uh, the three prophets before them were pre-exile prophets. We see the Israelites, every once in a while they would become rebellious and sin and they'd find themselves in bondage. And I submit to you that it's because he got in her head and uh, this country is not too far removed from being in bondage. And I submit to you it's because he got in her head. And somebody needs to break the curse. Mm-hmm. We're in spiritual warfare. Haggai, about 538 years, who's counting, years before Christ, accepted the challenge to rebuild the temple. But at the same time that he would rebuild the sign and outward symbols of their majesty, he was to purify their practice of worship. That's why I'm calling for mourners' benches again. It's a part of our worship. Ought to be. But see, nowadays we're at the point where it's the music that many of us don't know the words to that's attracting people. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, those same ones apparently have never heard a majestic pipe organ I pastored a Methodist church for a number of years up in North Missouri big old gothic style church had a pipe organ pipes were wooden this thing was was historic and antique and only one man in the country knew how to work on it and uh, the organist, before we would go out on, in the morning, well, the choir would be in there, choir robes, and I had my robe on, and, and I'd see the organist, and I'd say, now, Tom, when you, when you start to play, just play it bigger and bigger and bigger. Open up the stops that's on the organ. Just keep opening them up, opening them up. And I said, till finally, just before it's over, just blow everybody away. Now, it's one thing to be blown away by bass guitars or electric guitars. Another thing to be blown away by a pipe organ. Oh, it's majestic. Worship. Well, we have a lot of different forms of worship, and I think God looks kindly upon all genuine worship. And I think God looks upon uh, the oboe with the same... uh, kind of uh, evaluation and importance that he would look upon the pipe organ. You know, without an oboe, an orchestra wouldn't function because it's the oboe that everything is tuned around. Did you know that? They don't have anybody talking about, oh, there's a great oboe player. No, they're talking about a great trumpet player, great saxophone player, whatever. But the oboe, that little old instrument, that's what they tune the rest of the orchestra with. God looks upon the oboe as very important. Little as much when God is in it. And you may be little in your own eyes, and that's good because that means God is in you. In the second year of King uh, Darius, 
In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shetail, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And you that earn wages, earn wages to put them into a bag with holes. Oh my, haven't we all been there? We looked like, you know, we'd run out of uh, money before we ran out of month. <laughs> um, ran out of money before we ran out of checks. And, and no matter how much we made, we didn't end up with any more. What's going on? He got in her head in the Garden of Eden. That's what's going on. That's what was going on here. All of these problems because he got in her head. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You've looked for much and lo, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins, while all of you hurry off to your own houses. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land. And there was silence. governor of Texas got it right. Those people in Texas need to do some heap, big praying. Mm -hmm. I think it's tomorrow, isn't it? Or August 5th. But don't think the little bit that we got the other day to wet our whistle is sufficient. There needs to be some heap, big praying going on around here, around these parts. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the soil produces, on human beings and animals, and on all their labors. Well, then they began to obey the voice of the Lord, and, uh, and then we find that... Um, things improve. When they get their worship house in order, things start to improve in a major, major way. Verse uh, 6 in chapter 2, For thus says the Lord of hosts once again, In a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasure of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give prosperity. I would say we could all stand a dose of prosperity. You know, we could all stand a good dose of prosperity. There is a way we get to put God's house in order, we get our worship together the way it ought to be. 
and then we stand on God's word. Until we do that, we have no right to stand on God's word at all. Now, um, the, the wrap on this here in about four minutes so that we can have break time and I'll finish up with what's in the Gospel of Mark is set the stage and tell you that because he got in Eve's head there was a loosing of creative ability on the part of Lucifer so that there are spirits that are not of God that are rampant in creation as we experience it. If anybody thinks there isn't a spirit of debt, you haven't looked and studied very carefully. There is a spirit of debt. Debt does not serve the purposes of God. It really doesn't. Um, there is a, a spirit in our land today about food. People have developed a hunger for that which is not healthy. And our society is quick to produce it. And that's quite a scenario. There's a spirit of bad television in the land today. Very bad television. There's also a spirit of crime It's every place. Green County built a new jail and they've outgrown it. They don't know what they're going to do. There's a spirit of manipulation and lies that we find in the news media. They'd assume lie to you, tell you the truth, as we used to say. There's also this spirit of deception that has gone into various levels of government because you see it's legal for the federal government to lie to you but it's not legal for you to lie to the federal government there's a spirit rampant in the world today that um, has caused our government to spend hundreds of millions of dollars in an effort to investigate whether some professional athletes have taken performance-enhancing drugs. I think we have a spirit of entertainment that has taken over our country as well. When people will spend tremendous amounts of money on professional sports, and when in Springfield, for instance, on the high school level, you have all these different sports, male and female basketball, there's male baseball, female softball, there's soccer for both of them, tennis for both of them, golf for both of them, swimming for both of them, volleyball for them, and goes wrestling, and it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. I, I like sports well enough. I played baseball as a kid, football, I was a pole vaulter on a track team, all that kind of stuff, but um, I think, and I like food. <laughs> but, <laughs> You know, there comes a time when we all have to draw back a little bit and take evaluation and wonder, is this being Holy Spirit motivated or is this being foul spirit motivated? In other words, who's pushing us and who's leading us? Um, 
This stuff has even infiltrated what's called Christian television. And most of it's a fundraiser. It's an infomercial, biggest part of it, based on very thin theology and uh, misinterpretation uh, of scripture. And I remember when Oral Roberts, in the, under the tent, he had the, the old movie camera set up and he showed on black and white television, which is all we had, uh, healing services under the tent. And uh, many of you here are too young to remember it, but I remember it. And Oral Roberts, he never raised any money. Now that's how old I am. I remember when Oral Roberts didn't raise money. <laughs> At the end of a broadcast, he'd hold up, <laughs> that's the truth, he'd hold up a book and he'd say, if you'll write to me, Oral Roberts, Tulsa, Oklahoma, I'll send you this book free and postpaid. Now, the only address you need is Oral Roberts, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, write to me, Oral Roberts, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'll send you this book free and postpaid. And now, they say, I have put together this Bible. It's got all the Bible helps that you'd ever want. And it tells you how you can prosper. It tells you how to get your bills paid supernaturally. It tells you how you can always walk in perfect health. It tells you this. It tells you, it tells you in a sense, how to restore the Garden of Eden in your life, personally. Even if your neighbors are just drying up and blowing away, it's going to rain on your land. And here's this Bible. And it's only $499. And you need it. There's no other Bible in the world like it. Well, I hope not. Somebody's going to pay a price. And it's not the four ninety nine ninety five I'm talking about. Somebody's going to pay a price when they stand and look up at a holy and awesome God. That's for sure. Spirit of deception... It's gotten to the point where you can't even be certain you're watching Christian television when they say it is Christian television. Mm. And then finally, the law has become extremely perverted because he got in her head in the Garden of Eden. Just the other day, a woman's little boy on the school bus. Uh, actually, that came out in the news the other day. It happened at the end of last semester. Because down in his seat, unresponsive, his little playmates, school bus mates, they kept saying, we can't wake him up. We can't wake him up. The mother dared to board the bus. And they charged her with a crime going to have to spend lots of money to defend herself to keep from going to jail because that was breaking the law to board the bus. There's a long list of those kind of things. At first I started trying to save all the newspapers, had all that stuff in there, and the stack got too tall. It's going on around us all the time. Just the other day, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, which provided part of the land where our capital sits, it became legal for them to enter an apartment complex with a dog, and the dog stopped at a door and sniffed. They didn't have to knock. They just break the door down. 
They don't need a search warrant in Commonwealth of Virginia anymore. They just need a dog. Dogs have replaced judges. Because he talked to her head in the Garden of Eden. There's a rash of mental issues going on. 30 million Americans are autistic. That's one-tenth of our population. All kinds of head injuries because of football on all levels. The only reason the divorce rate is down is because the marriage rate is down. More people living without benefit of clergy. And if you're not married, it's kind of hard to get a divorce. And so those who shout and say, oh, the divorce rate has come down, it's a lie. Living together without God, because he got in her head. After our break, we'll find out how Jesus dealt with this in the Gospel of Mark, and then five times how he did his work of casting out demons. I want to pray for us, then we'll have a little break. Father, I thank you for the time you've given us here, and, and what a joy it is just to lay forth the truth. And I thank you these people are listening. Now bless us for a few minutes while we have this time uh, of respite and an opportunity to, to speak to one another. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.